I want to uh, invite you this morning into a very ancient passage, and one that has been central to the identity of the people of God uh, for a very, very long time. Uh, These are words that were uh, written in the time of Moses and given to God's people uh, at a time when there was great uncertainty facing their future. Um, They were wandering and without a home. And God spoke these words to his people, and this central portion of this passage uh, is known by the first Hebrew word that appears in the sentence. And if you've ever been to a synagogue on a holy day of any kind, you have heard the people there begin uh, this prayer with the word Shema. Shema Yitzrael Eloheinu Sorry, Shema Yitzrael Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Echad. And that is, uh, hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. And is perhaps the most oft-repeated phrase in the history of God's people. People have been saying this phrase for millennia upon millennia. And I want to I sort of place it in its context and talk about what that means for us today, this ancient phrase that um, God has set in the hearts of his people. Will you read with me as I uh, start in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I'll be reading verses 1 through 12. These are the commands, decrees, and laws The Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, O Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things you did not provide. Wells you did not dig. And vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery.
just want to sort of briefly hearken back to a couple of moments in my life. Um, one would be uh, that few days following the first time I came to understand God's love for me through Jesus Christ. I was in high school and uh, was on a summer retreat with a, with a group of youth from my high school. And uh, was blown away by the grace of God for the first time in my life. Now, I should say, I, I'd been going to church since I was born. Um, and, you know, my mother did what's called the drag. Are you familiar with this procedure? Uh, you know, son, you're coming to church with me. And it was the ear or the collar or whatever it took, right? And, and I can, like, vividly remember the, I call it the cat splay, you know, and the mom's trying to shove me in the back seat of the station wagon, and I'm just like, not going in there. I know where this is going. And uh, that was my basic general response to God for the first 16 years of my life. Um, and then I'm just sitting there minding my own business, and I, and I hear the gospel presented in a way that I'd never heard it before. And it totally broke me down. And I just want to take you to the few days following that, which can loosely be described as a spiritual high. Um, you know, the world has changed, and everything is great. And I, I think that I'm, I'm never going to have any more problems, right? And I get home from the retreat, and, you know, when you're, when you're kind of back amongst the same old people, uh, you begin to act the same old way. And you come down off of that spiritual high, and it's a pretty, it's a pretty harsh crash sometimes. And I remember, you know, after probably a conflict with one of my parents, just being stunned, I'm still a jerk. I thought this problem was solved. I thought, I thought all of my problems were solved. Um, but no, I'm still me. Uh, you know, another moment I could take you to would be my wedding day. And standing there, uh, just one of the greatest moments of my life, and, and thinking all of my problems are solved. <laughs> right? Um, and those of you who are married are laughing or have been married, and those of you who have not been married are going, what a terrible thing to say. <laughs> um, but these, these moments in life where we think we have arrived at the land of milk and honey, where there will be no more conflict, no more strife, no more uh, trouble. And... God is speaking to his people as they are in the midst of this trial, this period of time of not knowing, of being in the wilderness and wandering, not having a home. And he says to them, listen, listen to my words, listen to the essence of who I am 
Because when you get there, you're going to think that all your problems are solved, that all the conflict is over. And of course, the huge irony in this whole contrast between the, the people of God and the land of milk and honey is very simply put in the word Israel. If you've listened to me for any length of time, you've heard me say before that the very essence of the meaning of that word, Israel, is one who struggles with God. The struggle will not be over in this lifetime. And God knows this. And he says to his people as they think they're on the verge of salvation, as they think they're about to cross over into a life free of struggle and full of the good riches of life. He says, listen, I have something I want you to hear. And it very simply is this. I'm in control. And what I want to draw out of you is love. And as God pauses to say this to his people, on the, the verge of their entering the promised land. Um, there are some calls to us within this passage that I want us to, to sit in this morning and to reflect upon and to let God use these words to draw out of us what he desires to see in our lives. The first of these challenges is the challenge to observe the word, to observe the word. Um, just to give you the context, in, the, in chapter 5 of the book of Deuteronomy, Moses has reviewed for God's people, or you could say God has reviewed for his people through Moses, the Ten Commandments. He said, here's the big ten. Here they are. Um, and then just as he finishes that review, he goes into the first verses of chapter 6. These are the commands. That's a reference back to the Ten Commandments in particular. Decrees and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. There's a call to us to observe the Word of God, to observe the, the instruction, the decrees, the laws of God. Now, why on earth would God place that call upon us? Um, I don't know about you, but um, when I'm faced with the prospect of obeying all the laws of God, I don't feel joy. I don't feel relief. I don't feel very good at all because I know myself too well now. I'm still a jerk. Okay, I've learned this lesson, and I will stumble on these laws, and I will fall on my face. And so God, in a way, is setting us up. Why? Because he knows one simple truth, that the will of a sinful person will be drawn closer to God through the struggle. And he knows this. 
And so he, he, he sets the call before us, here is my law. Now, wrestle your way through. Because I wait on the other side. Actually, I wait in the midst of it all. But here I am. And so there's this call to observe the Word. To discover life in the Word. And I love the fact that God puts in the midst of this call, in these verses, this word life. Come into the struggle that is grounded in my word. There you will find life. You find, we find life as we engage the word of God according to his will. And observance brings a sort of fulfillment to us in a spiritual sense. Let me be very careful. Um, I, I think the greatest temptation when, when reading these verses is to think, okay, be careful, verse 3, to obey so that it may go well with you. All right? And we're tempted to think, well, if I will do my part, then God will owe me something. He'll owe me blessing. He'll owe me favor. He'll owe me good. Um, I can honestly tell you that's not what he's saying. He is calling us into this struggle where his word stands fixed and eternal. Where we are inevitably placed in the position of transgressors. Those who have failed to live up to his word. And being in that position causes us to render ourselves anew before God. To put ourselves at his feet, if you will, in search of his heart, his mercy, his love. But this attempt on our part to observe the law will ultimately bring fulfillment. Not riches, not an easy life, but fulfillment. Observance brings fulfillment to you, and observance brings fulfillment to your family, to those with whom you are connected. As we are all in this struggle together as the people of God, we grow together. We grow stronger together as a family. And these words coming from the mouth of God are part of what forge the biblical idea of covenant faith. That is, faith that resides in a people and multiplies through them. And the predominant form of this multiplication in, in covenant faith is the family. That what mother and father cultivate in their own struggle with God is picked up by their kids. It's transferred. It's, it's uh, grown and developed and cultivated. Um, I, I, I like to use just the worst possible illustration, if I may. Um, do you remember... Uh, some of you remember this. Uh, 
thank the Lord these days are long gone. iTunes has completely taken over the market. But do you remember the old uh, Columbia Record Company or club? Okay, and they'd send you the thing in the mail, and you could get, you know, eight cassette tapes for a, a penny, right? Oh, dude, I gotta have that, right? And so you sign it up, and you send it in, and you get your, your eight, I don't know, you know, Jim, they were probably 78s for you, but, you know, you know, eight tracks for others of you, and then, you know, the cassettes, and then the vinyl albums, or whatever you wanted, um, and they, they ship you all the ones that you signed up for, for a penny. And I remember putting an actual penny in the envelope. I don't think the Postal Service liked that very much. But um, put the penny in the envelope, you mail it in, you get your eight albums and your two bonuses or whatever. And then the next month, like any teenager, I blow off anything that comes to me in the mail. I still do, as a matter of fact. But um, anyway, uh, and arrives on my doorstep, the giant LP of Dolly Parton's famous Christmas hits or something like that. I'm like, what is that? Um, and I owed $23.95 for Dolly Parton's Christmas album, right? Because I didn't, like, read the thing and send it back, and I'm like, dude! And they just keep coming. And if you don't send in the little card and say, I, I don't want Dolly Parton's greatest Christmas hits, then you get them. You remember this, right? Some of you younger people are going, what in the world is he talking about? Your parents will be happy to explain this to you later. Um, and you know, if I can just use that really, really bad analogy, all right, covenant faith is very similar. God counts you in as a child in his family until you send the rejection letter, basically. And so the way covenant faith is supposed to work is that we grow up in the covenant family and we grow into this faith and we make it our own. And it's, it's transferable by default. You, you don't have to um, work at it, if, you can, if I can use that term in the theological sense. It, it's, it's not, the transference of your faith to your children is not a work. It is a grace. And it is by default. And there are cases where our kids will reject that at some point and and hopefully for a season only but that is the the basic premise of the way covenant faith works and Moses is setting that up for us here and telling us that observance of the law this entry into the struggle with God through the law brings fulfillment to our own lives and to our families by default as we discover life in the Word, we discover God's will in the Word. Observance, if I may use that word, is part of what draws us closer not only to God, but closer to His will. 
as he has revealed what he wants for us in his word, and we seek to realize that in our lives, we find that we are where, more and more, where God wants us to be. This place of being where God desires for us to be may not always be a happy place. That's not the point. The point is that as we struggle, as we engage, as we observe, as we fail, as we find grace, as we return to the heart of God, we find more and more that we are in His will. Observance helps us to enjoy God's grace, and observance helps us to enjoy God's promises. God has set before His people His promises, His promises of good and not harm, His promises of love and not judgment. And ultimately, those promises are fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. This is a a long time away from the time of Christ that these words are given. And they are, in a sense, setting God's people up for understanding their Messiah. That there will come a day where we will enter a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 3. Just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. That arrival only comes through Christ. Through the struggle of Christ, I might point out. And through what he has struggled to accomplish on our behalf, we will find ultimate, eternal peace. But if you know the story as God's people sit on the, on the um, east side of the Jordan at this point. There's much struggle ahead. They don't walk across the river into a, land, a life of ease and comfort. They, they walk across into a, a, a living war. And there's much yet to come. And I could even see the, the skeptic among them hearkening back to these words and going, land of milk and honey? Is God crazy? This is no land of milk and honey. These people are trying to kill us. This is insane. Because God knows this. Through the struggle, He will draw us near to Himself, to one another. It is how covenant faith works as we observe or called to observe the word, so also we are called to love the Lord. And nowhere is this call stronger than in this little portion of Deuteronomy chapter 6. This is a profound articulation of what God wants to draw from us as his people. As we are told to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all of our soul, and all of our strength. This is a, um, a very ancient way of saying everything. Um, ancient, let's call it rhetoric, words, when 
there was, if you, if you ever read uh, like Homer, for example, you'll see, the, you'll see these sort of triple drops in the poetry of Homer. Um, ancient communication often worked in threes. And here, God is saying, I want it all. I, I want your heart, your soul, your mind, your body. I want it all. I want everything. If you can think of it, I want it. That's how much I love you. And so we're called to love the Lord with everything we are, the entire essence of our being. This extends, this call extends to every part of you. But God reiterates one word. He says, love the Lord your God, verse 5, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. Then he comes back upon one of those parts. In verse 7, he says, I'm sorry, in verse 6, he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Now, he wants it all, but it absolutely must drill down to the point where it reaches our hearts. God's people in, in, in one of the most uh, powerful examples of historic irony take this passage that's really about the heart and they turn it into a doing. And if you've ever seen uh, pictures of, of like deeply orthodox Jews. You ever seen the ones that have the little box on their forehead? You ever seen this? Some of you think I'm crazy. They have a, a long leather strap and there's a little box that they strap to their forehead. It's called a phylactery. And that box is strapped to their forehead at the beginning of their day. And they go out and they do their business and it's strapped to their forehead. They also have one, I think, that's strapped to the back of their right hand, is it, if I'm not mistaken? So, this one. Yeah, thank you. I was doing that for your sake. You're right. You're right. My other right. Um, and then, if you go into uh, the home, and this is true of just about any Jewish person, if you are paying attention, there's a little box on the threshold of their door, and it's got some Hebrew letters on it, and uh, so all of these little boxes, do you know what they contain? A little bitty scroll that has usually the numbers 1 through 10 actually written in Hebrew letters on the scroll, representing the Ten Commandments. And so the idea is that, that you know, they've taken this passage so literally that they attach the Ten Commandments to their heads, they attach it to their hand, they attach it to their door frame, so that when they go in or come out, and if you, if, again, if you go into the home of an observant Jew, uh, they will often uh, kiss their hands and, and touch the box, or touch the box and kiss their hand, depending on whether they're coming or going. Um, the irony is if we can do all of those things with God's commands and then live like hellions 
or fail to let it drill down to the heart. Because what God is saying here, more than anywhere else uh, that I can think of, except maybe the words of Jesus when he quotes this passage, is, I want your heart. I don't care what you strap to your head or what you strap to your hand or what you tack to your door. I want your heart. That's all I really care about. Because he knows if he can drill down that deep that he's got us. Heart, mind, and soul. And so this call to love the Lord with everything we are extends to every part of us, but it must reach the heart. And it must encompass or be realized in everything we do. Here's the point that God is making as he talks about um, these uh, places where he wants his word impressed, if you will. Verse 7, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road, and when you lie down, and when you get up. So there is a, a conversation that happens in life. And this isn't about rote memorization or drilling your kids or catechizing your kids. Um, this is about those teachable moments that arise throughout life where your kid runs into a struggle and they don't know what to do. And you're there and the conversation happens. It's not programmed, it's alive. And God says, I, I want my word to impact those moments. All of your relationships are to be impacted by this love that I'm calling out of you. All of our relationships and all of our endeavors. When he says, you know, strap it to your, to your head, he means everything you think about should be impacted by the word of God. When he says, attach it to your hand, that means everything you touch and do and make and struggle to accomplish should be impacted by the Word of God. All of it, everything, but ultimately, it's about love. It's about the love that God is calling out of His people. We're to love the Lord with everything we are and in everything we do. And at the end of it, we're to remember the source from which love comes. That is the heart of God. And he tells us in these last three verses of this passage that ultimately this is all about God's faithfulness. It's interesting. He doesn't say when you cross over and conquer when you overcome, when you do what I've told you to do, that's not what he says. He says, when the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers. This is all the accomplishment of God. The fulfillment of his faithfulness to his promises and his faithfulness in his gracious provision. You see this language of, of cities they did not build and wells they did not dig. It's not about our effort. It's not. 
He's been trying to say from the very beginning that it's about his grace. Not what we can chalk up for him, but what Christ has done for us. Sin we could not conquer. Forgiveness we could not earn. Love we could not create. We're to remember the source of all that comes to us that is good. It is the result of God's faithfulness to his promises and in his gracious provision for our lives. And we are to remember God's progress in our lives. This passage now reflects back to what life was before salvation came. I want you to think back to who you were before Christ changed who you are. As I do that, um, you know, I, I'm embarrassed by the kid that I was before I came to know Christ. I could tell you stories you wouldn't want to hear, Okay? Because I, I was selfish and I was driven by um, something totally other than the grace of God. And God says here, look back. You were in Egypt. You were in bondage to sin, to to." to selfishness, to, to hatred, to insanity. And I brought you out of that place not to make your life easier, but to draw you closer to my heart. And we're to remember, he says, God's progress in our lives, to remember who started this and where you and I began this journey. In a place where we were not forgiven. In a place where we had no hope for forgiveness and grace. And God has brought us out of that place and is bringing us into a new place. But not apart from the struggle. Because what it means to be God's children is to be the people who struggle with God. In that struggle, I want you to know this. His one and only son came to this world for the struggle. Not to go around this call to struggle, but to go through it to the cross, the grave, and the resurrection to new life. That hope stands before all of us in the midst of whatever life may bring. And at the end of the day, it's about God showing his love to us 
and calling that love out of us into the world. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we thank you for your word. And we ask, Lord, that you would render us into a position where we see you for who you are. We love you for who you are. And we remember all that you have done in our lives. Lord, that um, we would be those who observe your word and where we fail in that, that we would be those who are brought through the struggle to the grace of your Messiah, where we learn anew what love is and we are called to show that love in all that we do and say. Lord, that your love would continually redefine who we are, even in the midst of our struggles. Lord, grow us closer to your heart. In your son's name we pray. Amen.